Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. That's to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, buddy. Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today because, well, there's a lot of noise around his property, and he has to be there because of that. Specifically, those painters who we thought were gone, well, they've turned back. They've turned around, come back, and they are beating the devil out of that household. Making a heck of a lot of noise, trying to get some painting done slightly on the outside. And, ooh, it is such a ruckus. They needed Alan there to handle that because his neighbors kept coming over and interrupting them. <clears throat> and it, it would never get done unless he was there to mediate between the painters and the neighbors. Plus the fact that the painters may not have been doing the job exactly right. And Alan needed to oversee that as well because they had made certain modifications that were... <laughs> to the household that, uh, alas, the painters perhaps were not aware of or had noticed or otherwise were unequipped for. So someone expert on the layout had to be there, and if there's no one who's an expert, then I'm about to say that horribly wrong. Of all the people on this planet you would consider to be an expert, Alan is someone you would consider to be an expert. That doesn't sound right either, but the uh, point is Alan's an expert so, on just about everything, so of course he's there handling the paint job. Well, not handling it himself, he had, he's helping the painters out. This is a very long-winded introduction, I'm sorry about that. I was trying to be witty and pithy, but instead I was long-winded and pedantic. Anyway, if Alan were here with us today, he would give you to you his very succinct mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. The Alan Nathan Show is a Main Street Radio Network production. We want to thank the Main Street Radio Network for allowing this program to exist. And we want to thank the management in particular for their support over the years because their clients and even some of the people in the management have disagreed with content that has been broadcast on this show. But they allow it to happen anyway because they believe that we have a right to say what we would like to say. We want to thank the Salem Radio Network as well for distributing this program. You can find out more about The Alan Nathan Show at alannathan.com or on Twitter at alannathan or on MainStreetRadioNetwork.com or on Facebook under Main Street Radio Network or on Twitter at Main Street Radio. And as for The Silk or Joe Show, if you want to hear me actually talk more professionally than that long-winded introduction a second ago, then you can listen. Then you can see when I'm hosting either this show or The Silk or Joe Show on Getter, G-E-T-T-R.com, at Silk or Joe Show. And at this point, Alan would read you his pre-written topics. I happen to have just enough time to write my own after Alan decided that he needed to be at home with the painters, especially after... Everything that happened a week and a half ago, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can understand that, how they went way over time, even when he was there. So he's, he, he was wondering what the heck are they going to do, aside from make noise and scare the neighbors when I'm not there this time. <laughs> anyway, the topic for today is, latest Rasmussen poll shows Trump taking the lead for 2024. Could it be the Biden administration's many failures and abuses of power are catching up with it? Will people forget by next year? So what's going on with this Rasmussen poll is it's actually showing Trump seven points ahead of Biden, something that rarely happens. Well, actually, something that did not happen in any 2020 poll. So um, 
I'm not sure what Rasmussen is doing. Usually polls tend to favor the leftist candidate, even if that candidate won't win. But Rasmussen has been different a little bit, straying from the other polling services. They are the ones who I mentioned before had that poll showing 45% of Democrats thought that the unvaccinated should be in concentration camps. And either 55 or 60% of Democrats thought that if you said an unkind word about the COVID vaccine, you should be either in prison or fined extremely heavily. So the fact that Rasmussen would say Trump is seven points ahead when they do polls like that, perhaps it indicates a little bit of their bias and the bias that might be bleeding out into the poll that they conducted. But hitherto, they have been quite uh, unbiased or even biased towards the left as far as their polling has gone. Now, as far as the uh, forgetting about it by next year, eh, probably, because people have such very short minds these days. How many can honestly remember what political event happened a few weeks ago, let alone happened a year, year and a half ago? Well, usually I can if it calls up on command, but I don't know. So much happens that I cram everything into my brain, squeeze other stuff out the other side. And it just seems like the Biden administration has gotten away with so much too that why would anything that they do stick with them? The train disaster, for example, in East Palestine, Ohio, well, now we've had two or three chemical spills from trains, derailments since then. And the only thing that the transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, can do is go on to MSNBC and say that our roads are racist and that's why accidents er, happen. Or rather, no, he said the, uh, the, accident fatality, the auto accident fatality rate in this country was because of racism, is what he said. So that he seems to be very much unconcerned with chemical spills from trains. So I guess the Biden administration figured, well, you know what, that story blew over, much like the chemical cloud that was generated in East Palestine blew over other parts of the country. So they can get away with it. They can ignore it, let the chemicals spill where they are. And now the voters certainly are going to hold the Biden administration to account for it. It seems they've forgotten already, too. What else are they going to forget about by this time next year? The Perhaps they'll forget about the political persecution of Trump. Well, no, because the Biden administration thinks that's a winning goal. And there is possible evidence that they have been working with the district attorney's office in New York City to make this prosecution of Trump happen. So they're going to keep this up in one form or another through next year. And the worst case scenario is that they'll have some case against Trump that will lead to a gag order, meaning he cannot campaign for 2024. And I think that might be one of their goals here. And they're just trying to fish around for a way to do that. And as far as, and Fox News actually might be facing something similar. Uh, they have this uh, case that, with the Dominion voting filed against them. Of course, Fox News is going to roll over on that one. God forbid that they pr admit that there was election fraud in 2020. Their mass, corporate masters at Fox News won't allow it to happen. But then again, to the, in their in defense of the lawyers, no judge so far has believed any of the evidence for it. In fact, most judges just throw it out and say, you can't admit any of this stuff. Sorry. So you have to present your case that there's election fraud, but the evidence that you have for election fraud isn't allowed into the courtroom. So what what good is it? How can you win a case with no evidence? They And then when the case doesn't go through, the left says, well, see, there's clearly no evidence because your case didn't go through. It wasn't that. It was the fact that no evidence was allowed to be admitted. There was plenty of evidence. The judge just threw it all out without even looking at it, which has happened. So 
Will that be the case with Fox News versus Dominion or Dominion versus Fox News? Will the are they going to just roll over and take it on the nose and say, well, you know what, there is no evidence because and, and then settle out of court or will they try to present a case and will the judge just throw out anything that they have? Who knows? They might first, of course, the first offense that they'll probably go with is uh, these people are talking heads. You're not supposed to take them seriously because that's what everybody said. The Southern Poverty Law Center, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow, all of them presented that same defense in court. We're not supposed to be taken seriously. So you throw this case out. <laughs> Maybe that's what Fox News will do. And boy, that will be a score for the left, of course, on this matter. Maybe Fox News' executives are willing to throw the network under the bus in order to save the election fraud scheme. Or maybe the judge will throw out the evidence and Fox News will lose because no evidence will be allowed to be presented. There, there's a lot of ways that that case is going to go wrong. But what happened recently with that case is there's a sort of a delay was put in by the judge. And don't know who the judge is, maybe a Democrat, in which case this would be very suspicious behavior delaying the case. And what are they delaying it for? Are they delaying it because if it's delayed, say, into 2024, they can put out a gag order on Fox News and stop them from doing any reporting, or at least any reporting on the election, any reporting on the candidates, so that you'd have to get all your information from biased sources? Maybe. That could be the end game for this one, too. That is something actually the federal government does a lot, and we know the federal government is behind a lot of this stuff. So what the federal government will do... If you have a case exposing some failure of theirs, then they can easily uh, say, sorry, this information is classified, so here's a gag order, shut up, and then not bother trying your case ever and just leave it hanging in the courts or say that they can't bring it to call because national security. It's a magic word, national security issue. Uh, you can say that phrase and get out of any legal situation if you're the government. So... They, maybe they're trying to apply that now to silence their opponents in the election. That same tactic of uh, you know delaying the case and then issuing gag orders, and there you go. That's all you got to do. Your opponents in the upcoming political election are now silenced using the apparatus of the government. That's quite scandalous, quite censorial, but also the same Democrats who say that they have the most transparent administrations in history, well, they mean the opposite of whatever they say. And with that, they mean that they are the most closed-off administrations with hiding the most from the public. And that tactic of censoring opponents certainly is, falls in line with that. Folks, more Al Nathan Show coming up after this break. Spring is here. Time to get out of the gym and take your workout outdoors. Whether you're walking, running, swimming, or biking, it's important to have a proper warm-up routine to prevent injuries. Five-time Ironman triathlon world champion Craig Crowey Alexander has some advice. Sprains, strains, and injuries can happen to any athlete. Even a minor injury can affect your performance and derail your fitness routine. One of the best ways to try and prevent injuries is to make sure you prepare properly. Alexander recommends always starting with a 10 to 15 minute dynamic warm-up. Activation exercises combined with some dynamic movements like lunges are great for warming up. Focus on one specific movement at a time until you feel ready to go. 
Be sure to listen to your body and use proper support gear when needed to protect yourself and prevent injury. The Curad Performance Series Ironman lineup includes rugged supports, wraps, kinesiology tape, bandages, and analgesics to support you on your fitness journey. For more, go to curad.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon-St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM SkillsBuild continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to skill 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States including yours, but they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show, Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today, and we are joined right now by Devin Watkins, attorney at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He was previously a legal associate at the Cato Institute. Devin Watkins, happy to have you on the show again. How are you today? Hi, I'm glad to be here. All right, so the Supreme Court ruled, oh, what was it, Friday, that uh, regulatory agencies, they had these little internal groups that decide if uh, something they did was in violation of constitutional law now. 
I don't know if I heard about that or if it just makes sense that the government would do something like that, that it just seems like I should have heard about it before. But uh, tell us a little bit about this. So uh, there are adjudication, uh, adjudicative uh, parts of these various agencies. In my opinion, it should be done by an Article Three judge or someone a part of the Article Three branch. But the agencies as they exist now have these internal adjudicators that are appointed by the agency that can rule in favor of the agency. So the judge, and so the uh, agency acts in some ways like a prosecutor, a judge, and a jury all kind of wrapped into one. Um, and so, yeah, they handle constitutional issues along with a variety of other issues. Hmm. So what particular case was it that finally decided, had the Supreme Court step in and say that these regulatory agencies, you don't have to wait until they finish their internal review before you can take this case to court? There was actually uh, two different cases that were merged together. It's Axon Enterprises v. FTC and Michael, um, Michelle Cochran v. Uh, or sorry, SEC v. Michelle Cochran were the two cases. Hmm. And you all uh, filed an amicus brief with uh, at least one of those cases, right? Yeah, in the lower court, when uh, SEC v. Uh, Cochran, we had filed in support of Cochran, uh, uh, saying that the district courts, the real Article Three courts, still retain jurisdiction to handle uh, the constitutional issues, even if the SEC or the FTC is uh, handling it internally. That doesn't exclude the normal power that the uh, Article Three branch has. Mm-hmm. And why would we have this system... How did the system even get in place where these agencies were handling these issues internally? You know, it's like, oh, I committed a crime, so I'm going to punish myself. No need to get the police involved. That sounds like what it is. Well, during the uh, progressive era, um, there was a lot of hostility to the separation of powers that was created under the original Constitution. And so what you saw was, um, after especially FDR, that Congress started delegating a lot more things to the agency, both rulemaking that is effectively lawmaking done by the agency rather than by Congress, and also adjudication, which is like the Article Three court branch being done not by Article Three but by the agency. Um, and so by putting all of those things into the agency, you effectively create a government unto itself that can write the rule, that can find the person, that can then find that the person is guilty. Uh, and they thought this was a great way to empower agencies to do what the agencies are supposed to do. I see it as entirely contrary to the separation of powers that our Constitution originally created. Right, because the whole idea of the separation of powers was to prevent each part of the government from being its own petty little tyranny and actually to have them compete with each other over who would be the tyrant. They just assumed everyone would be jerks about it. But now, but then suddenly, I guess in the mid-20th century, you start having people coming out and thinking, well, no, we can trust the government. Uh, we've seen how trustworthy the, it can be when the governments have full control. We just fought a war against such trustworthy people, so let's do it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and you know, this case really presents uh, a, a prime example of the kind of stuff that goes on in these uh, adjudications. 
uh, Michelle Cochran that's been fighting this thing with the SEC has been fighting it for like five years now. And it just keeps going and going. And the first time the uh, ALJs were found to be unlawful and it was sent back. And then they put her in front of a separate uh, unlawful ALJ for a different reason. Uh, that had already been ruled as illegal by the Supreme Court. Um, they put these ALJs that have these two layers of for-cause removal that in uh, – in fact, I, I work at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and we brought the case, Free Enterprise Fund, that uh, the Supreme Court determined two layers of for-cause removal is unconstitutional, and yet they keep doing it. Hmm. Yeah. If, do they – how do they get away with just continuing to disobey the law? Is there so little ability to have enforcement over these agencies? The lower courts, uh, in this case, it was two separate circuit courts said that even with Free Enterprise Fund and some of the other cases that were on the books, they uh, were bound to uh, allow the agency to finish its uh, process before they can rule on whether that process was legal. <laughs> yeah, that uh, kind of reminds me of some of the stuff that happened in the wake of the 2020 election where you know, the, people were told you had to put your challenge in before the election in order to uh, your challenges of fraud. You had to put those in before the election in order to have your case heard because putting in after the election, you know, that's just a sore loser sort of thing. You had to wait for the election to happen in order to have a case. But but then at the same, as far as our legal system goes, but then they're saying, no, you actually had to do it the other way around, predict the future somehow almost. And it's crazy how backwards our legal system gets sometimes. Yeah, there's a lot of problems around uh, things, um, various doctrines like assuming that uh, that uh, called the de facto officer doctrine that basically assumes if no one challenged them in the past, well, then we're just going to assume that they're right and that they're still legal, even though they're not. There's a variety of doctrines around that. Um, a lot of games played with standing and other issues that make it really difficult for people to challenge issues, even when they're right on the merits. Mm. So it sounds like uh, more, more of a matter for judicial reform. But I guess as an attorney, did you know about all this? Uh, is this sort of something that you are taught in law school? Hey, this is just uh, how things are going to happen. Or just as you started working in your career, you started seeing more and more of this stuff and started wondering, this isn't what I learned in the textbook. What the heck is going on? Yeah, I remember when I was thinking about going to law school, I went to a friend of mine and I was like, I don't quite understand this. How can one agency have both executive, judicial, and legislative powers together? Isn't that what they call Hearny, and uh, the law professor was like, "That that was yes, they they had called it that." Um, <laughs> uh, but it it is it was very much this is the way it is in law school, um, and you have to deal with a variety of these things around uh, both standing. And it gets argued in a lot of cases when it really shouldn't be that difficult, uh, and you get a lot of these other doctrines that just prevent people from really going into court and getting a decision on the merits. I hate to phrase this question so negatively, but is there a solution to any of this? Because you know, despite the Supreme Court making its ruling today, or I'm reading the top of the article here that says "ruled today." This was Friday that the ruling happened. Mm -hmm. um, this, despite the Supreme Court making a ruling, as you said before, they've made rulings on other stuff that is ignored. So, you know, is just this idea of enforcement impossible? 
Yeah, so the, the problem is that there's a lot of these kind of um, after the New Deal, uh, you know, FDR appointed nine Supreme Court justices. Um, so a lot of these old decisions are still on the books, and they're, so they're getting rid of them one at a time. This is just one example of getting rid of a bad old precedent. All right. Devin Watkins, attorney at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Appreciate you being on the Al Nathan today. Listeners, if you want to see the article that uh, caused me to botch what today's date was, it is at CEI.org and is titled Supreme Court Ruling Ensures People Can Challenge Agency Authority in Court. Come up to a break so you can check it out then. But there is more Al Nathan show coming up. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools... Suddenly, everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> 
It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Glowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show, everybody. I've got a story here, a bit of a departure from the topics I led in with. Uh, actually, no, actually, it's right in on this. It falls under the category of one of the Biden administration's many failures. Pete Buttigieg says roads are racist. Okay, no, that's not the topic, but it is just the latest thing of nonsense out of his mouth. Over the weekend, he decided to say that uh, auto accidents are caused by racism because of, I don't know, racism and how the roads are designed, racism and healthcare, racism this, racism that. It's not really the only word he seems to know. And despite Pete Buttigieg saying about all that racism, Obama is out trying to build his personal presidential library right in the middle of a poor black neighborhood. In fact, right in the middle of the only park they have access to, displacing residents and destroying that park. But what do people in the inner city tenements need with a park anyway? And they kind of a monument to a god instead. At least that seems to be Obama's thinking. And while we are obsessing over racist roads, we're not really paying attention to Obama and where he's placing his monument to himself. So I guess it's okay if he does it. But no, the real story, though, those are you know, just examples of Democrats' narcissism and hypocrisy and total disregard for especially lower-income African-Americans. But this other story here seems to show a total disregard for every human's life on this planet. Air National Guardsmen uh, leaked that we are losing in Ukraine and that America is now in sort of a hot war with Russia. American soldiers are on the ground over there. Now, you'd think the media would be concerned about directly fighting a war with a nuclear power, but no. Instead, the media is trying to bury the story, and they're even asking the Pentagon how they can bury information like this in the future. John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesperson, former admiral, said that this information was not meant for the public to see. 
Do the Democrat media liars not realize that when nuclear weapons fly, their cities are going to be the targets? Also, why is the media that hated the Bush administration, national security state, the same media that published every whistleblower and leak under Trump, suddenly demanding prison for leakers? The answer is obvious. The media works for the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party wants a hot war with Russia, maybe nuclear. And, you know, NPR cried when because they are called state media. Maybe they were just mad that Elon Musk singled them out when all the other outlets are state propaganda, too, as we've seen with their reaction to the leaks. And also, as we see every time they bring on some former deep state expert, there's no such thing as a former deep state man. Well, and there's a couple out there, but you might have heard some on this show in the past. But uh, certainly not the people they brought out who are best known for lying to Congress and seem to be lying now. But uh, when the uh, there's probably a freer flow of information in North Korea than on Democrat-controlled networks, it seems. And now this Air Guardsman, if enough backlash against the warmongers in Washington can be generated, may have saved hundreds of millions of lives, lives that the liberal media is trying to end. In fact, they don't even want you to know if the nuclear war is coming. They asked the Pentagon, like I said, take stronger steps to hide information like that. Oh, and... Turns out from these documents, we also learned that we conducted biological warfare experiments on like 20 Ukrainians. Just as an aside to all of this, what happened to Democrat morality? They get on their high horses and preach that they are the sole arbiters of right and wrong. If you disagree, you should be shot. And they said as much. Even the White House said as much after the trans kids shot a bunch of Christian kids. Remember that? The Nashville shooter? Uh, the Biden administration came out and said they support trans kids' right to fight back right after there was a trans who did a mass shooting of a bunch of Christians. And the media said that the Christians were the ones in the wrong for being so bigoted and forcing that to happen to begin with. But now they're supporting censorship, government secrecy, and nuclear war. What happened to climate change? I thought that was a big thing. Won't a nuclear war wreck the climate? Well... Electric cars will wreck the climate, too, I guess. After 10 years, you're tossing the whole thing in a dumpster, assuming it doesn't catch fire and spew toxic flames into the air prior. <laughs> Those batteries make the Ford Pinto look safe. So I guess that's what you call a dumpster fire, right? Ha. Anyway, this idea, though, that the media is willing to protect the Biden administration as they lead us into a nuclear holocaust, how suicidal has the media become? Like, not only... Are they helping the Biden administration? They're demanding that they be kept in ignorance of such things happening. Why? Why does the media not even want to know if we're on the path to a nuclear war? They're the ones who are in the big cities that are going to be melting, quite literal melting pots. So is it just what? Are they part of this whole, is this depopulation rumor true? Uh, we've heard plenty of elites in the that, who support the Democrats talk about depopulation, and it led me to make my joke that I enjoy making about Bill Gates, the famous depopulationist who said has, has said as much that the Earth needs to be depopulated. Out there advocating vaccines, why would you trust a vaccine from someone who advocates depopulation? Right? It's like taking candy from a stranger who has uh, razor blades in the back of his car. So. The, why is the media then supporting de this uh, nuclear war and being kept in ignorance of it unless they are on board with this depopulation thing, perhaps? Or are they just so passionately devoted to the Democrat Party that it's at the point of suicided mental illness that they're devoted? They would rather, instead, the Biden administration getting egg on its face about lying to the American people and to lying to Congress about our, how involved we are in Ukraine to avoid embarrassment or is the media really saying that they would rather have a nuclear war than have a Biden administration embarrassment that that seems to be the message from all this 
And it's an alarming message coming from these people who are supposed to be the guardians of democracy. The, they're the ones who say it themselves. Democracy dies in darkness, the slogan of the Washington Post. The Washington Post helped capture this leaker. How is it they can say democracy dies in darkness and then suddenly go after the guy who is helping shed light on this darkness? The Washington Post, their motto, democracy dies in darkness, they're the ones trying to create the darkness. What's up with that? How are they? And their readers seem to believe this. How are these people able to hold these absolutely contradictory thoughts in their heads that darkness means light or whatever the heck they're trying to, they're thinking there. Censorship is truth. Censorship is transparency. That we shouldn't be informed that we're involved in a hot war with Russia. What kind of thinking is going on in these people that they can think that and then come out and say that they're in favor of transparency? Well, keep in mind, when did this democracy die in darkness slogan start? It happened under Trump. Are you hearing it much now? Only as it, to, as it applies to Republicans. That's the key. Democracy, the only time that there is any darkness or threat to democracy is if you don't have one-party rule. See, they uh, have decided to co-opt the term democracy, much like liberals have co-opted the term liberal. Liberal didn't used to mean radical authoritarian. Liberal used to mean that you favored free speech, freedom of the press. You were anti-censorship. You thought all religions would be valid. Uh, not so much the Democrats now. The modern liberal hates Christians rapidly, hates free speech rapidly if they disagree with it, thinks the press should be subjugated to one political party that should control the government. That's not what a liberal traditionally has been. That's what it is now. So maybe they've co-opted the term democracy. Maybe their idea of democracy is one-party rule with fake elections. That's how the Soviets operated, and they allowed themselves to be democratic. In fact, Democratic Republic of Korea is what the North Koreans call themselves. And China, they're, they're not exactly democratic, but they do have the higher-ups have elections to vote in a chairman, but those are just as rigged as the North Korean elections or the Soviet elections. So maybe that's what Democrats mean by democracy, that the fake kind, the kind that will ensure that they stay in power forever. In which case, yes, that sort of democracy... Actually, that democracy would thrive in darkness, or perhaps the darkness isn't referring to transparency. That darkness is referring to their political opponents. Who knows? We can uh, interpret it metaphorically, but it, it's all part of a publicity campaign, pretty much. They're trying to reshape the definitions of words to suit their own aims, and that's how they get away with talking about uh, enemies of democracy and all that, when in fact they themselves are the enemies of democracy. Well, they just redefined what democracy meant. For example, in Ukraine, they say Ukraine is fighting for democracy. They're on the side of democracy. This is the same Ukrainian government that banned the opposition party. It is a one-party system right now. And not only that, they banned a major religion in that country. They banned journalists that oppose the administration. It's as much a tyranny as, it's even more of a tyranny, in fact, than Russia in some respects. Yet, we are told that that's democracy there. Democrats are telling us what their definition of democracy is, the kind of tyranny that Ukraine has. So, again, democracy is just another word that the Democrats have redefined. And that's how they get away with saying that they're the ones protecting it. They are protecting their definition of democracy, which is one-party totalitarian rule with fake elections. Because notice how 
whenever you talk about opposing them, you're an enemy to democracy. The whole point of democracy is to have opposing parties. Not so to Democrats. You're an enemy to democracy if you doubt them on any issue. You're also bigoted in some way, shape, or form on any issue. You know, they like to come out and say, oh, well, we allow you to talk about lower taxes and uh, deregulation and all that. No, they don't. You mention that kind of stuff, they call you a racist right off the bat. They tell you as much to your face. You are a racist. You want to cut taxes from this? You're a racist because this hurts black people if you cut taxes. Oh, you want to deregulate that? Well, you're a racist and you're a capitalist pig who wants the poor to suffer. That's what they tell you. There's no issue at all on which they are flexible or amenable. They are truly tyrants that want a one-party system. More Alan Nathan Show coming up after this break, listeners, so stick with us. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, 
there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries? I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Thank you for sticking with us through this hour of the Alan Nathan Show. Silver Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today. So, listeners, you may have heard last week that uh, NPR was labeled as government-funded media by Twitter and has decided to leave Twitter because they didn't particularly like that title. They they said they are not government-funded media. Well, NPR stands for National Public Radio. I guess they've decided that they are neither national nor public, so... All that we're left is radio. So joining us now to talk about R, we have Tim Graham, executive editor of Newsbusters and host of the Newsbusters podcast. Tim, how are you today? Good, thank you. All right, so what do you make of, uh, I guess we have to call it R now. <laughs> what do you make of their uh, claims about not being government-funded media? Well, they're clearly national. They have a network of over 300 stations. Um, they are public in that they try to say they're 1% funded, which is a lie, uh, you know, their own charts when you go to public radio finances show that they have 31% from what they call core programs. What that means is the federal government sends money to the, out to the NPR stations. The NPR stations then send it back to NPR headquarters as programming fees. So, you know, NPR will say that government funding is essential, and they're not kidding because it's a it's at least a third if not a half of their money but they like to pretend they run around and say 1% or 2% and that's just dishonest and it really shouldn't be tolerated hmm. and 
they are, I guess they're, they're entitled to lie about that because they seem to have a severe bias and lie about other things too. You, you at folks at Newsbusters have been tracking them for what, how many years now? Yeah, I mean, I've been here for 33 or 4, so I mean, I I know that, you know, National Public Radio is a taxpayer subsidized messaging service for Democrats. Hmm. Yeah, and we certainly don't want the government having a means of communication that particularly favors one political party or the other. That's not how our government is supposed to be designed. It's supposed to be nonpartisan. Why would you want your government acting in a partisan way? Yeah, I think that the, the, the problem we've had, and one of the things I like to do here is to say, you know, here's NPR interviewing Trump's secretary of state. He got so angry, Mike Pompeo pulled off his mic and walked out. And then they interviewed Joe Biden's secretary of state, Antony Blinken, and it's all flowers and how are you, sir? And, and that's the kind of double standard you see. Mike Pence is going to get a roughhouse treatment on PBS or NPR. And Kamala Harris gets Christmas candy. So, I mean, that's, this has been a long-standing pattern. And it's not just politics. It's also culture and religion and entertainment. Uh, they have a dramatic left-wing bias on all of this stuff. Um, when Mother Teresa died, they were they went and got somebody who thought she was a horrendous person, um, you know, and uh, Christopher Hitchens. And then, of course, when Christopher Hitchens died, they warmly remembered how he hated Mother Teresa. Hmm. <clears throat> and these do not sound like uh, particularly nice or unbiased individuals. <laughs> and like, so, so I wonder what would happen to NPR if the government went back to demanding that equal time for equal points of view or whatever thing that they had decades ago. NPR's right. entire model of programming would have to be scrapped from the sounds of yeah, it. Yeah, right. Remember, they had it. Yes, the F, the FCC had an equal time rule that they, at least they're on paper. Um, the Public Broadcasting Act of 1967 said we, there should be fairness and objectivity in all programming of a controversial nature. Um, this has been uh, a, a passage that's been routinely ignored. In reality, public broadcasting is set up so that the uh, Corporation for Public Broadcasting sees itself as a firewall from any interference from you know from Republicans, basically. Um, you're not allowed to object to any of the programming. And, uh, you know, we're, you're supposed to just give us the money and not ask any questions. And that doesn't seem to me like something you'd call a public enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are the I thought we were supposed to be concerned about government transparency and transparency in general. You know, the folks on the left. So I guess that counts NPR. They're the ones who are saying we need to see where dark money goes uh, in in the dark money in elections. And at least during the Trump administration, they were the ones demanding release all these documents, release all this information. And any time there was a whistleblower or a leaker, you know, they're right on board with it. They're publishing everything that uh, comes out. And yet when it comes to themselves or Democrat administrations, they seem particularly incurious and actually very secretive, the exact kind of secrecy they rail against when it's anybody they don't like. Yeah, I mean, transparency is something they're not good at, as we've already discussed about their own finances. And accountability is something that they do on a very partisan basis. You know, the amazing thing about NPR, and I I mean, I had to check and double check and triple check because it was so obnoxious. uh, You'll remember they arrested a guy who was planning to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court Justice. Mm -hmm. Um, 
NPR never did a story. I mean, it, it's like, how do they not do a story? Now, you know, their, their hour, top of the hour, like two, three minute newscast isn't on the website. Maybe the, the most recent one is on the website for an hour. Um, but in terms of these long, substantive newscasts and interview programs, there was just nothing on Brett Kavanaugh potentially being assassinated. I don't know how you can say I'm a news organization and I'm not going to acknowledge that that happened. Hmm. Well, uh, they can, <laughs> um, apparently. And it's not just NPR, though. It's uh, PBS as well. They seem to be part of this biased spectrum going into it. Now, PBS, uh, I don't know if they've been docked off Twitter yet as government-funded media. Oh, yeah. No, they haven't. They've been I think declared PBS, as such, but they haven't left Twitter it, after it. Well, I think what they tend to do is they don't really exit. I mean, they just stop tweeting. The, the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the sites are still there. They just stop tweeting. So is it an exit or is it just sort of a self-suspension? Uh, you know, these are very popular Twitter sites, right? I mean, NPR at 8 million, and this is what is important. Of those 8 million, we're going to guess that about 7.8 million are big Democrats. You know, I mean, it is one of the reasons liberal talk radio has never gotten off the ground is because national public radio is liberal talk radio. And so that's that's the, the ecosystem that we live in. And the sadness of all of this is, yes, they take our money from conservative and Republican taxpayers and use it to attack conservative and Republican ideas and politicians and taxpayers. Yeah, I didn't authorize my money to be used for that. But then again, I don't authorize my money to be used for a lot of things the government takes it for. Uh, but boy, just using it to attack me, though, that seems like a real slap in the face. I have no choice but to give the government that money. And then NPR gets a hold of it. And suddenly that money is being waved in my face. Tim Graham, you get the final word on this. Yeah, imagine the federal government giving money to, you know, Sean Hannity or Mark Levin or, you know, they just, you don't, you wouldn't support the conservatives, but you can support the lefties. Right. All right, Tim Graham, executive editor for Newsbusters. Appreciate being on the Alan Nathan Show. Listeners, thank you for tuning in as well. MainStreetRadioNetwork.com is our website. Be seeing you. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.